Hello. There you go. I was just messing with the sound guy. Good morning. All right, come on. Good morning. Let's get excited. All right, I'm going to jump right in because I got a lot to share with you guys, and I'm excited about what's happening and what's been moving on. So here's the quote really quick. Charles Spurgeon once said, life is too short and hell is too hot to just play church. Life is too short and hell is too hot to just play church. Amen? So if you came to play church, you're in the wrong building this morning. Amen? We're working on a series titled Body Building. Body Building. And we've just been talking and we're going to focus this entire uh, summer season on just body building. Because I want the body to get built up. I want us to build the body. I want us to be strong. I want us to have endurance. I want us to have perseverance. I want us to be able to run the race. And I want to, I don't know about you, but I want to finish well. Amen? I want to finish well, and the only way to finish well is to, is to be built up, is to, to have that kind of training, to, to have that kind of focus and that kind of vision, amen? So I want us built up individually, and I want us built up as a body, and that's why we're doing bodybuilding. Say praise God if you're ready. Amen. This past week, I went into, I take a couple of trains, you know, to get to work like everybody else, and... And I got into one train, and you ever been in one of those trains where the entire train has one advertisement, right? They take, you know, somebody, it must cost a lot of money, some advertiser buys the one car, and the entire train has the one ad everywhere, the borders, the posters, top, bottom, everything is one ad. And this ad was win for life. Some of you laugh because you're familiar with what that is. That is your obsession. And so I'm looking all around and, and I'm reading and everywhere I looked, it was this win for life. And now there's, there's a, a, new, a new lottery apparently called cash for life. Somebody say, yeah. <laughs> I love to catch you out there. So it's cash for life, you know. And cash for life is this new lottery where, you know, I read everything. So obviously I know all about this now. Cash for Life is a new lottery where you win $1,000 a day for life. Somebody say, bring it. $1,000 a day for life. So naturally, I have to admit to you and confess that I let my mind wander. I didn't do the math or anything, but... That's $30,000 a month. After taxes, it's probably about $15,000 a month. That's $180K a year clean without doing anything. It's funny because your faces are more interested than when I share scripture. So, so I'm a little concerned right now. They're like, tell me and tell me where to get it. You guys know where to get it. Don't play yourself. So I started thinking, I let my mind wander. You almost missed my stop. I let my mind wander. I said, man, what would I do with 15 grand a month? Would I, would I, would I, I mean, you know, how, how, what would the first thing I would do with that? And, and, and then I started thinking long term. And then I started thinking, man, this church building going to look real different if one of us hits win for life. Amen? I would hope so. 
At least, well, forget, forget it. I talk about me. I said, this church building would look. And then I started thinking how many people I could help, how amazing it would be to just be able to bless somebody, you know. You see somebody struggling about a bill, and you're just able to pay that bill. It, you see somebody, you know, you want to buy, buy somebody some clothes. You want to buy. It's just awesome, right? And I'm thinking how many people I can bless, man. And, 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 and it was awesome, right? And then later on in that week, I was chatting with my wife about it. So obviously, it, you know, stayed with me for a little bit. This is morning confessions for your pastor. And my wife gave me a totally different perspective about it. She tells me, if you were to win win for life, the new goal would be to keep you alive as long as possible. She told me, we're going to see a nutritionist. You're going to be eating healthy. You're going to work out twice a week with a trainer. She told me you might as well give away your motorcycle because you ain't never getting back on that thing. You ain't playing games on a motorcycle. Forget that. Give it away. You're playing the safe route. The goal would be to keep you alive as long as possible because the name of the thing is cash for life. It's win for life. That means you only get it as long as you're alive. That means once you die, it's over. It's called cash for life. It means no life, no cash. You, you get it? And so, and, and that's when it hit me. You know, we work so hard to have everything we can have in this life as if this life was forever. I know, listen, I know the thought of winning win for life automatically, and you can be honest, it'll bring a sigh of relief. Everybody just go, ah. You almost, you know, it, it's almost a sense of peace almost, right? And you, you say, I don't have to stress about certain things anymore. I don't have to stress my job. I don't have to work if I don't want to. Wouldn't that be a good feeling? I don't have to stress my bills. I don't have to stress my apartment. I don't have to drive a car that makes too much noise or that doesn't work all the time. I could just be French Montana. I ain't worried about nothing. I ain't worried about nothing. Right? It's just like you feel like everything is, is taken care of. Everything. I don't have to worry about anything. Right? But see, that's the problem. Here's, here's the problem with this thinking. We have a tendency to worry so much about this life that we rarely contemplate what's going to happen after this life. That movie, Heaven's For Real, anybody seen that? Some people at my job got a hold of it, and boy, it's got people talking and worrying. It's got people stressing out. So I got, I got co-workers coming to me, yo, 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 yo I just got to talk to you, man. Is this thing for real, you think? Is this kid lying? Because I started researching, and there's people online, you know, the men that say they went to heaven, and I think they're lying. But this kid, I don't know, man. That movie had my, the pillow standing up on my, my arm, you know? And so people are asking me, is this thing for real? Like, I got all the answers, right? But, but it, it's getting people to think past this life, right? People at work are, are asking me. And when you, when you give it this, some thought, you really, and look at it in this perspective, win for life would be nice. Cash for life might change the things we have to worry about here. Win for life might take care of some of our issues now. But 
Win for life is only for this life. That source has an expiration date. Aye, come on. That supply has limitations. That security expires. That provision has restrictions and that peace is temporary. But family, the treasure that we have as believers transcends beyond this life. Matthew 6.20, the supply that we have is beyond measure, Philippians 4.19. The requirements that are required from us have already been met, Romans 5.8. The price has already been paid, John 3.16. The peace that we have surpasses all understanding, Philippians 4.7. If anybody hasn't won for life, it's you and me. If anybody has win for life, it's us. Some of you are saying, but I'm broke. <laughs> Philippians, listen, listen. If, if, when, when, when you, this, this could change your life. Listen, when you trust in the provider, you learn that not to sweat the provision. When you trust in the provision, you're always sweating the provider. Because when you trust in the provision, you say, what if my job closes? What if the stocks crash? What if uh, this happens? What if my boss fires me? What if when you trust in the provider, the provider can bring the provision from anywhere. From anywhere. The provider is not limited in how he delivers his provision. You'll get a job. You'll get a check in the mail. You'll get things wiped out. You'll get things paid for. You'll get an opportunity to elevate and an opportunity to make yourself better. Come on, say amen. amen. Philippians 4.19 says, My God will supply all your need according to your limitations, according to this world, according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Say amen. amen. <laughs> you don't have to have the winning numbers. You don't have to scratch off three in a row and reveal your prize. You don't have to keep trying and spending and giving everything you have to try to win. Your odds are not three, one in three trillion. In Christ, every, there's a winner with every try. Come on, in Christ, there's a winner every try. Call to me and I will answer you, says your God. It's his will that none should perish, so you're already acting in his will. That means the game for us is rigged. We win. Come on, somebody should be happier than that. But family, the point is, though, we have to be ready beyond this life. And, and here's where it might you know, get a little uncomfortable to hear today. It's great to be prepared for this life, and we should. We should go to school. We should get degrees. We should, get, we should work hard at our jobs. We should excel. We should want promotion. We should build businesses. Listen, when I leave this, I want to leave something for my kids. I, wanna, I want my children to have an inheritance. I want my children to, to be able to divide property. I want my children to be able to, to, to you know, not that it's going to replace me or anything, but I want to leave them something. So in this life, it's good. We we should work hard. We should strive. We should do the best that we can. Amen. But it's bigger than that. Church, if all 
I'm doing is setting things up in this life, then I'm setting myself up to fail. And it's, it's not just me, I'm failing my family. I'm failing those around me. I'm failing everyone God has given me influence over because if I'm focused on this life because with no care to the next, this life is so fleeting, church. Do you see the things that are going on around us? This life is so fleeting. So many of us, we obsess with such temporary things. How many of you guilty? This is for some of you. Listen, think back to the last thing that had you stressed beyond belief. Think back to that situation, that relationship, that whatever situation that you were in that you thought was going to destroy you, that you thought would never pass. Guess what? It passed, and you're still standing. Come on. We forget, right? We have a, another drama comes up in our lives. Oh, God, I'm never going to get past this. How am I ever? And you're like, what? God, come on, come on, come on, come on. You just got past bigger than that. Come on, man. That last thing you were crying about, that didn't wreck you. That didn't destroy you. That made you stronger. You got bumps on your arms now because of that one. Amen? That made you bigger. That made you stand taller. That made you see yourself differently. So now don't let this stupid little situation blow you up. Come on. Let's put things in perspective. Look at this. If this pole, I want you to see this. If this pole were a picture of eternity, if this was eternity, silly because the pole can't be eternity because it starts there and it, and it stops there. And eternity has no beginning and no end. But let's just for a moment entertain me. If this pole were the spans of eternity, that little line... It's too wide to illustrate our lives here in this world. If this is eternity, this is too, this is the part that we're stressing about, this little, in, this little amount of space. Isn't it crazy we obsess over this, I gotta drive the right car. I got to have all this money. I got to look this way. I got to cut this and trim this and, and, and lose this and build this. I got I to gotta have this. I got to have that. In this little space, it's going to pass here. And then you have all of this to worry about. I'm going to leave that line there forever because I want you to know and focus. Sometimes when we, when we come to worship, we need to focus on something. Focus on that line. He said, you know, this little bit, this is the only time I have to worship God voluntarily. This is the only time that what I do is going to count. This is the only time where it's going to matter. Because after this, man, it's glory or not. Let's put things in perspective. We get so caught up with this little line. Amen. I'm going to give you a picture from the scriptures. It's a parable. It's found in Matthew 25. And let me set it up for you. A parable is just a story that Jesus tells. To, to, he, he creates it. It's not a real story. It's a story that Jesus made up to illustrate a point. Okay? So this scenario in this parable is a, is a wedding. How many of you are tired of weddings? We've had about six weddings already. This year, I have another three scheduled already for this year. Those are sitting here, most of them, I think. 
So the scenario is a wedding, and so we, we um, it, it was about, you know, so, so many of us, we're familiar, very familiar with the preparations that it takes for a wedding, right? All the preparations that go into it, everything. And so the people of that time, in Jesus' time that he was sharing with, they were very familiar with the preparations it takes for that too, because I'm going to tell you a little bit how, how they do their weddings in ancient Israel. That was a whole another story. So Matthew 25, if you maybe put it up there, we're gonna, we'll read it together real quick. It says, verse 1, then the kingdom of heaven will be, so remember, he's talking about the kingdom of heaven. He's saying the kingdom of heaven, this is what heaven is like for us. The kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them. But the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. Verse 5, as the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and they fell asleep. But at midnight there was a cry, here is the bridegroom. The bridegroom is ready, come out to meet him. Verse 7, then all those virgins rose and they trimmed their lamps and, and the foolish said to the wise, give us some of your oil because our lamps are going out. Let me help you understand this because this could get a little crazy. The weddings in ancient Israel, they varied from different towns everywhere. That I, all the research that I did and read, they, they changed a lot. But there's some, but one thing that they all included that was common in that time was a processional from the bride's home to the groom's home where there would be a wedding feast. So there was, they, they varied a lot of different things, but this one every wedding had. There was a processional from the bride's home to the wedding feast. And that would happen at night, the wedding feast. That was the party. That was, no, that was the feast, the dinner afterwards. So the wedding day, all day there would party and they would celebrate. It would be a huge celebration. And they would, you know, celebrate and party. And then <coughs> at some point, there would be a time of preparation, so all this partying all day, right? This is a big wedding party. This isn't two hours in a hall. We're talking, we're partying and celebrating all day. And now there would be a time of preparation, and then the groom would come back to get the bride, and then there would be a processional from the bride's home to the groom's home. But now listen, this would happen late at night. Those towns didn't have electricity, right? There was no Con Ed back then, so it was dark. So everyone in the wedding party had to have a torch. We say lamps, the word translates torch. And so definitely everyone in the wedding party would have a torch. And so in, in that time, and that would light the way. You know how we, we make all the processionals in the, in, the, in the reception halls, right? All the wedding party lights up and they put a stick or, you know, we get corny, whatever we do with that, right? And then the wedding party comes through. We get that from ancient Israel. Those are all things that we get from history. They had torches, and these torches would light the way because they were called to be light. And so they had these torches. These torches would light the way. They had to last all the way from here to the wedding feast. So in that time, if you didn't have a torch, you were probably not invited to the wedding. So you probably didn't know anything about the wedding was taking place. You probably weren't invited because you weren't ready with a torch. If you had known, you would have had a torch. So in that time, usually, if somebody showed up at the feast without a torch, they would say, that's a wedding crasher. You're not let in. You understand? 
And so it would be really bad now if the wedding party, imagine your damas and your whatever we call these guys, right? If they don't have torches, <coughs> that means they weren't prepared for you. That means, you know, that's a, a big insult. That's, that's something heavy to do. And so here we are, the five, the five uh, foolish ones, they had their torches, but they didn't have any extra oil. And the word says that the bridegroom tarried. It's funny, today we wait for the, for, the, for the bride, but back then it was we waited for the bridegroom. And in the spirit, we're always waiting for the bridegroom. Amen? So it says the bridegroom tarried, and they, now they say, he's here, he's here. So everybody wakes up, and the foolish, oh, they got little, little torches. They're all like down already. And so they say, yo, give me some of your, give me some of your oil. Right? And so here's where we're at right here. The bridegroom was delayed, verse 8, and the foolish said to the wise, give us some of your oil for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, since then there will not be enough for us and for you. It is better for you to go to the dealers. They said, go to the, to the dollar store and get some oil. Go down to Target, they're still open, and get some oil. But I can't give you my oil. This is our oil, the, the wise one says. We were prepared for this. We've been waiting for this. We're excited about this. If we give you our oil, then our lamps are going to burn low. But we want our lamps shining brightly. So he says, now it says, now while they were going to buy, the bridegroom came. And those that were ready went in with him to the marriage feast, and the door was shut. Verse 11, say, uh-oh. Afterward, the other virgins who came from Target with the Target bags, and now they got their torches. Now they're ready. And, and they came, and they were knocking. And they said, Lord, Lord, open up. We're here. Open up to us. Look, we've got the, the ugly dresses on. We're the, we're, the bride, you know, we're the bridemaids. And the word says, but he answered, truly, I say to you, I don't know you. Watch, therefore, for you will neither know the day nor the hour. Now, remember, this is a parable. It's a story made up that Jesus made up to prove a point. So let's break it down a little bit, okay? The imagery is obvious. The groom is Christ, right? The wedding feast at the end is the kingdom of God. The wedding feast is heaven, okay? Who are the five foolish and the five wise virgins? That's the church. Say, uh-oh. The five wise and the five foolish were the church. But, so the five wise were prepared and the five foolish were not prepared when the bridegroom came. The ones that were ready went in and the ones that weren't ready tried to get ready at the last moment. Come on, if there's a message everybody needs to hear, we need to hear this, okay? I'm sorry, this ain't real good, you're going to feel good and God loves you type of message, but we need this, Amen. So pay attention. Take the headphones out. Don't get distracted. Don't start talking. You need this. If you don't want to listen after this, you can leave. But please hear this. Amen? This seems like a harsh way to put it in the story. They went and they got ready, but that was only after they knew the bridegroom was there. And once the door to the feast was closed, it was too late. This is a hardcore parable, but this is Jesus talking to us. So this is not something we should brush off. This is Jesus made up this story to give to us. 
So we got to think about this. There were a group of bridesmaids, the virgins. The virgins were the members of the church. But we see here that we could be, here's what we're understanding from this story. We could be in the wedding party. We could have on the same outfits as the others in the party. We could have on our Christian t-shirts like the other guys with the Christian t-shirts. We could have, I love the way they preached it in the revival down in Brownsville. They said, we could have the choir robes on. We could have baptism waters dripping off of us because we just walked out of the baptism. We could be a part of the worship team. We could be the head deacon. We could be the pastor on staff. But if we're not prepared when the bridegroom comes, we're not allowed in the feast. The ten virgins in the story, they all appeared ready. They had their lamps. They looked apart. They came to church. They were good people. They were nice people. They had invitations. Church, all of us have invitations, amen? If you didn't know that, you're invited. In case your invitation got lost, you came here today to receive your invitation. You've been invited to the wedding feast, to the supper of the Lamb, amen? You have been, every one of you in here have been invited. So, so nobody going to walk away and say, well, I didn't get my invitation, so I'm not responsible. Yes, you did. Today. I'll send you an evite. So everybody was definitely invited. These virgins, they were part of the wedding party. They had their lamps, but they had no oil. That means they had the appearance of godliness, but they weren't walking in God's power. One commentator wrote about it this way, about the foolish five. It said, they took lamps for show, but no oil for use. We talked about this the other day in James, where it says you can have a faith and appear ready, but true faith shows itself in what it does. Faith without works is dead. So you can walk off the worship team. You can be the head deacon. You can be the pastor on staff. But if your walk out there doesn't match your title in here, it means nothing. All that means is that you were invited. The foolish five had religion that couldn't save them. Family, listen, you could have you could be, you know, in the top shape. You could be, you could have everything you need in this life. You could exercise two, three times a day. You could be strong. You could be healthy. You could be wealthy. You could have good looks. You could have all the right numbers and the win for life. You could be set for this side of heaven. But if you're not prepared, if you don't have the oil, if you don't have the Holy Spirit of God, you could be dressed for the feast but not prepared for the party. Church, we're going through this series so that we can be ready. I want the body built up. I want us to be strong and growing. Amen? Last week I shared a word called mixed messages. If you haven't heard it yet, please, I encourage you to, to listen to it. Not because it's such a good message, but because it's a good word from God. Amen? We, we talked about how when our brain receives mixed messages, it causes problems, it causes confusion, it causes disorientation. And like our physical bodies, the same thing happens in the church body. And so we said as a body, we have to stop sending mixed messages to ourselves and stop sending mixed messages to each other. 
Amen? Has anybody had to shut down some messages to yourself this week? Praise God. Praise God. Sometimes we got to shut it down. When you start telling yourself you're a bum, you're a loser, you're never going to get this right, shut it down. Shut it down. You're sending mixed messages to yourself and you can't, you're never going to overcome. When you tell yourself, I am an overcomer. I've been saved by the blood of the Lamb. I'm a child of God. I'm a friend of God. I'm something. I am a, a created, I'm a creature created by a creator. Amen? And so that means there's purpose. I have purpose. I have life. I have destiny. I have goals. I have something that God has put in me. Amen? Not that, man, I'm an accident. My father always tells me I'm an accident. I was just an accident. That's a mixed message. We need to shut that down. Amen? So people, I, I've been encouraged. A lot of people have been telling me, oh, man, this week stuff was blowing up. I had to shut it down. This week that happened. I had to shut it down. So I, I get encouraged when I hear that people are putting something into practice. Amen? Now, nobody told me, but I hope we're shutting down the mixed messages that we're sending to each other as well. Because we need to walk with an encouraging word, with an encouraging heart. Amen? The man of God or woman of God should be a picture of encouragement. I read a quote this week. It said, instead of reading motivational quotes, be a motivational quote. <laughs> that should be the church. Amen? Amen? It shouldn't, it shouldn't be that when the Christian comes in the room, everybody goes, oh, that guy. Oh, that sister crazy pants, I know. It shouldn't be. It should be when we come into the room. I know for me it's like that. When I come into the room, people get happy. I don't care what you guys say, but when I go to work, people get happy. When I go hang out with my friends, they're happy. They want me to be around, Amen. And that's we, we need to be that way. That's how it should be. We should be a word of encouragement, amen? And I want you to understand, this isn't some happy thoughts talk, because I hate that. I'm not saying you got to walk around and just think positive and think good thoughts and have a, a happy Joel Osteen smile on your face. No. Uh, and, and, and all good will follow you. No. That's new age nonsense that has no place in the body of Christ, amen? That's a lamp with no oil. Listen, you could think good thoughts and you could pro project positive energy to your friends, but when the stuff hits the fan, listen, God would not have left us the Holy Spirit as a comforter if we wouldn't need to be comforted sometimes. Amen? So we just have to be careful as a body to not add hurt to pain. To not add confusion to chaos. To not, by sending ourselves these mixed messages that we do all the time. In fact, listen, <coughs> you got to receive this. When you and I hit win for life, we were called. We were chosen. And we were given a gift. What gift? Everybody say, where's my check? Here's the gift. Here's the gift. Listen, 2 Corinthians 5.18. It says, all this is from God who reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. All this comes from God who settled the relationship between us and him and then called us to settle our relationships with each other. Oh, boy. What is God saying here? God is saying, I've reconciled you with me. I've made things right between us in spite of your sins, in spite of what you've done in the past, in spite of what you've become, regardless of your attitude towards me. Before you loved me, I loved you. 
And so we've been given a gift. Paul calls it a ministry. I've told you this before, but I'm going to tell you again. You are ministers. God has given us a ministry, and it's the ministry of reconciliation. It's the ministry of making things right with people, of making people right with God. That's why we can't continue to send mixed messages to each other. We have to live and breathe and move and work like one body, amen? But then it's even bigger than that because we, us getting along is not even just about us. It's about the word says that they will know by our love for one another. They'll know us by our love for one They'll know if God is real. They'll know if God's message is true if they see us loving one another. So it's bigger than us just, you know, being, getting along. It's, it, 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 it's, it's more about what we picture to the world. Amen? Hang in here with me. I'm almost there. Because there's a, there's a bigger picture. Listen, I've been part of the body for a lot of years. 20-something years. And I talk to a lot of people, and I also have a lot of pastor friends, and I talk to a lot of pastor friends, and when we get together, sometimes it's just a dump. You know, we just got to dump, because we, we can tell a pastor things I can't tell anybody else, because he understands my pain. He understands what I'm going through. He understands the feelings that we feel that we can't share with just everybody, amen? So we talk, and one of the biggest areas that the body struggles with is self-centeredness. Can I, can I tell you the hard truth? Our society is self-obsessed. We're self-seeking. We're self-interested. We're self-seeking. My, my pastor friends and I, we talk and we hear from so many people, I don't feel like doing this anymore. I don't feel like working with the kids' ministry. I don't feel like, like uh, taking care of this ministry. I don't feel like coming to church sometimes. I don't feel like, and I don't feel like worshiping. And then, and that's fine. If that's what you feel, good. But then they'll complain. But pastor, I don't feel connected. But pastor, I don't feel like I'm part of the body. I don't feel, you know, loved there. Really? Connect and you'll feel connected. Amen? Is that like... That's not rocket science. Connect to the body and you'll be a part of the body. See, we need to stop feeling ourselves and start feeling what God feels. Amen? We're living in a selfie society where everything's about self. Let me prove it to you. We used to take pictures of places that we saw. We used to be play cool places, and we used to take pictures of those places. And if you look at your old cameras and your old files, you had pictures of incredible, beautiful places. But now, we <laughs> now, we see something beautiful, we're in a cool place, and we got to take a selfie of us in front of the place. We're like, wow, look how amazing that is. God, you are wondrous. Look at the mountains and the hills. We put ourselves in front of the thing that amazes us. We're a selfie society, but listen, listen, watch this, watch this. Look, most of our phones today, they come with two cameras, right? 
one facing you and the other facing out. Which one is the better camera? Where's my techies? The one facing out is like a 118 megapixel camera. The one facing in is the cheap camera. What should that tell you? I just want to challenge you, church. I want to challenge you, family. Today, go through life looking through the other camera. Amen? Get yourself out of every picture. Look through the other camera. Let, let, let us stop focusing so much on ourselves and start focusing on some, something else. Amen? Let's start focusing on other people. Worship team, you guys can come up. 2 Corinthians 5.19 says, God put the world square with himself through the Messiah, giving the world a fresh start by offering forgiveness of sins. God has given us the task of telling everyone what he's doing. Do you get that? God has given us. That means us. That means, that means selfie time. That's us, all of us. That means us, the job of telling everybody what God is doing. God made us forgiveness with himself, and then God is telling us to tell. And when you guys might read that and say, well, that means the pastors. God is telling the ministry team. God is telling all the pastors. No, that's not what the word says. God has given us the task of telling everyone what he's doing. We are Christ's representatives. God uses us to persuade men and women to drop their differences and enter into God's work of making things right between them. We're speaking for Christ himself now when we tell somebody, be reconciled to God. Be reconciled to God. I know that might sound like a fancy word, but we could just tell people, be, get right with God, man. Get right with God. And that's not for me to do. That's for us to do. So when people see these movies and they start talking about, is that true? You think there's a life? He said, listen, brother, you got to get right with God, man. Let's talk. And it's not coming at people judgmental. It's not coming at people hardcore. It's not hitting people with study Bibles. It's not telling, well, you know, second grade this. No, no, don't even go like that. Just be life. And he said, man, it's time for you to get right with God, man. Since I've been right with God, this is what's happening. Now, that's a challenge because if you've been a jerk all this time, now you got some fixing to do, right? Because you can't, you can't tell somebody at work, follow God like I follow God. And then you'll be happy like I'm happy. And people look at you like, you're the most miserable guy in the office, man. Why do I want to be like you? So that means we got to work on that, amen? You, people look at you and say, you, but you're a lying, cheating, stealing. Didn't you just steal um, this from this? Didn't you just cheat? Up and, come on, man. So that means we got some fixing to do. Because just because of who you were and what you've done doesn't mean you're disqualified. Come on. Last week I said we got to stop sending mixed messages to the world, but that doesn't mean we got to live in this little church bubble and don't say anything. We do have to send the message to the world. The word clearly says in Mark 16, go into the world, go everywhere and announce the message of God's good news to one and all. I love 1 Peter 3.15. I love this approach. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. Because that, 
The word is assuming that we're walking around with a hope. And the word is assuming that we're sharing that with people. And so the word is saying, be prepared to give a reason for the hope that you have. Ephesians 4.15 says we got to speak the truth, but we got to do it in love. Amen? And the truth is, family, the bridegroom is coming. If you watch the news lately and see what's happening in our world, we had a plane go missing. We had another plane shot down. We had another plane after that shot down. Everybody on board killed. We're seeing and, and fighting wars. We're hearing rumors of wars and more wars. There's famines all over the land. There are earthquakes and natural disasters, the likes that we have never seen before. There's earthquakes in places that have never had earthquakes. This past winter we saw snow in places that it has never snowed. Things are changing. Things are out of whack. Right now Israel is at war. And it's escalating. And, and in case you didn't know, all of this that I just read to you is in the Word. The Word said all of this would happen. That's why it should bug us out. But if it's not bugging us out, maybe it's because we haven't read it. But if we read it and then saw it in the news, and if you held the Bible and the newspaper together, you start to question some things. You start to say, wait a minute, what days are we in right now? Where are we right now? Could we... Be that close. I know we, we, you, you can say, man, I heard my great-grandmother saying, you know, for the last 30 years, but listen, somebody, someday they're going to be right. Someone's going to be right. He's going to come. The bridegroom is coming. And the church has got to be ready. Amen. And you could, listen, you could say, no, man, you know, in my, in my life, God is the highest priority and, and all that. But saying it is different from demonstrating it. I'm sorry, give me two more minutes. Is, is, is God the priority of our home? And is, is that what we're demonstrating to our kids? Christ died for the church. Is the church even that important to you? Is it even a priority to you? Do you really want to, you, you want to see if the church is a priority to you? Do you support it? Ay, ay, ay. Do you support it physically by being there? Do you support it financially? It's so important to me, church, that we get this body moving and growing and being healthy because we're not just called to minister to ourselves. We're called to be, to share the good news. I love the imagery in the, in the wedding parable because they weren't let in because they weren't shining. They weren't light. Church, you and I are called to be light. That means we always have to have our torch burning. That means we always have to have fresh oil. We can't just show up on a Sunday whenever we feel like it and then and light the lamp because by the rest, by Tuesday, that joint burns out. Anybody know what I'm talking about? We got to have oil. We got to have the Spirit of God all the time flowing in us. We got we to gotta have communion with God. We got to be always lighting that, that torch, always having fresh oil. Amen? We're called to be the light. We got to be prepared to shine. Can we just stand for a moment? The five 
wise. They were ready. They, were, they had everything they needed. They, they knew what was going to happen, and they were ready for it. The five foolish, they only got ready because they knew he was there. Church, don't let that, don't let, don't let that be anybody in this building. Don't let that be anybody you know. Don't let people, I know people have this mentality, oh, grace, grace, we, we let God, oh, God, oh, prepare God. Listen, God has been gracious, yes. God's grace is amazing. The fact that I can stand here and share anything with you, God's grace is amazing. But don't take the grace of God for granted. And don't think one day when, when I hear, when he shows, I'll go get ready. I got time to get ready. Church, you don't have time. Even if Christ doesn't come tomorrow, some of you might not wake up tomorrow. And then what? And then how do we get ready? I heard, I heard something at a funeral one day that broke my heart. It was a priest, and the priest was sharing with the people that were gathered there for, for the loved one. And the priest says, don't worry, he's in heaven. And I said, how could you know that? This man didn't serve God. This man never confessed his love for God. This man wasn't a Christian. This man never professed to be a Christian. But you know what he said? He said, the love of Jesus is so strong that even after we die, his love pursues us. And I said, wow, that's a beautiful picture. But that's not in the word. So that's false hope. And you're telling people, don't worry, even after you die, we'll get together as a group and we'll do 50 Hail Marys for 50 days. And we'll pray you through into the kingdom. Church, those prayers don't count. I'm sorry to give you that wake-up call, but those prayers don't count. The only prayer that counts is the prayer when you're alive. It's the prayer that you give. Listen, listen, listen. You can't say in that time, you can't say, but I was a part of the sanctuary, but I was a part of the worship team. You, it's like saying, hey, hey, give me some of your oil. The other people say, listen, oil can't be transferred. You got to have your own oil. I can't give you oil. I have to shine bright so I can't give you oil. You had time to get oil. It can't be transferred. You can't say at the end, it's because, well, I got passed. My father was a pastor. My grandfather's a pastor. You could come from the lineage all the way back to Moses. It's not going to matter unless you have oil in your lamp. When the bridegroom comes, can we just bow our heads for a moment? You know this is not me. I'm not a fire and brimstone all the time kind of. But, but man, sometimes we got to look at the reality. We got to put things in perspective. And we got to say, this little line is my life. And I got to be prepared for all of this. So, Father, right now in this place, I just pray that everyone at the sound of my voice that everyone that hears this message online or, or here or even at home right now, God, that, that they would make preparations right now. That they would not think, oh, because I'm 15, because I'm 16, I got all the time in the world. I wonder how many 15 and 16-year-olds were killed yesterday. lost their life, never had the chance to, to get to the place where they'll start serving God, where they'll start doing what they've been raised to do. We don't have that promise. So, Father, I just lift up everyone in this place, the young people, Lord God, to the children that are in the rooms right now, God. I just pray that you would continue, God, to build this body. 
that you would continue to have us prepared that you would continue to have us and I'm just pray I, I get this picture where I'm looking out over a dark auditorium and and one by one I start to see a light turn on like in row six and then like in three three chairs over there's a light turns on and and two chairs around him two more lights turn on and then like down in in row 36 another light turns on and and light and it's people just getting to understand that man I'm called to be light and it's people making a commitment saying, God, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be light, God. I'm going to be ready. I'm going to be prepared. And, and I, I wish that the entire auditorium right now would fill with light. Yes. Father, help us. Draw us. Father, we know your word says that we can't even come to you unless you draw us. Yes. So I pray right now that you would draw us. Yes. As we just have the few moments of worship, I pray that you'd yes. be drawing us. And if you're here, if you, you don't know that you're ready and you want to make sure that you're ready, don't let this opportunity go. Yes. Come to the front and worship with us. Yes. There's nothing magical about the front. It's just you're, there's something incredible about you moving and getting out of your comfort zone yes. and you stepping yes. out and saying, God, I'm yours. God, I'm yours. Somebody needs to say that today. God, I'm yours. God, I'm, I'm yours. Go ahead, Eve. God, I'm yours. 